Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley back for the talk and footy episode of the first week of the NRL Finals. Supercoach is over. There's no more Supercoach episodes, but we're going to continue on with the talk and footy episodes during the final series, also for the grand final week too. So keeping the footy going, even though Supercoach is over and we don't have any more Supercoach episodes. But for this episode, we do have a, a Supercoach personality on board. Regular on the podcast, Wilfred Z, the Catfish, Champions Podcast Extraordinaire. Supercoach Champions is a fantastic podcast. If you love your Supercoach, you can jump on that one. But Wilfred, welcome. It's finished all year, though, for you. No more Champions Podcast. Uh, we're still going to be around a little bit, uh, just dropping a couple of episodes here and there. But yeah, not not weekly or anything like that. So it's good to come on and chat some footy anyway. Thanks for having me on, as always, Barnsley. No worries, mate. No worries at all. So let's get stuck straight into it. This is finals week, which is huge. But we obviously also had a massive round of footy to finish off the year as well. A lot of things happened in round 25. <laughs> and look, it was it started off with, I guess, the Parramatta Eels game we'll touch on quickly. I thought that was pretty impressive. The Eels beat the Storm. And I know the Storm haven't been the Storm of old, but Really, um, the Storm didn't score a point until the 66th minute, and it was all but over, and really that 14 points kind of flattered the Storm. They came back at the end in a flurry, but it was all over. All of a sudden, coming into this final series, I'm going to talk about the final series separately, but that match was pretty impressive, and it's almost like the, the last month of the regular season for the Eels have kind of negated that tag of that late-season chokers just making up the numbers type of team that they have been in the past, so... Pretty good win, I thought, against the Melbourne Storm. Um, and I liked how they did it as well. Um, their completions were really high, 84%. That's something that's been a problem in the past when they've been choking. Their completions have gone down and the errors have gone way up. And their forward pack was pretty dominant in the middle as well. So what did you make of the Eels' late-season surge at the moment, including that last-round win against Melbourne? Yeah, look, they've been really impressive. Honestly, the Eels, um, as you pointed out, a lot of the time they've been a little bit questionable late in the season. but I don't know whether it's um, adjustments that Brad Arthur's made or whatever. It, whatever they're doing this year seems to be working. You know, it helps that they had a couple of easier uh, matchups along the way, <laughs> my Broncos and the Bulldogs as well. But look, you can't, anytime that you beat the Storm this late in the season, even if they were missing Jerome Hughes, I think you still got to take that as a massive win. And, uh, you know, I think the Eels are a genuine, I know it seems weird to to proclaim them as a genuine threat, but they actually look the goods this year. I mean, they're the only team that can say that they've beaten the Panthers twice and the Storm twice in the regular season, which is huge. Yeah, it is absolutely massive. Um, they've got a good record against some of these teams in the top end of things, so that's going to work out well for them uh, now that the regular season's over as well. Uh, look, I don't really want to do this to you, mate, but the... Bring it uh, on. <laughs> the other highlight... Well, let's talk about the Roosters first. They were before the they were before the next team. So let's talk about the Roosters game first. Twenty six to sixteen over South. Uh, as a Roosters fan, I was ecstatic. Uh, I said while I was watching the broadcast that the first half, either the first twenty minutes, but even the first half, I was so impressed with really on song. You know, and they were pretty dominant. Um, it was the twenty fifth minute when the, the South Sydney scored, but the Roosters had already slotted over three goals and scored two tries at that point, and were just all over them. And once again, uh, like the backline looked good. Like I thought Tedesco was outstanding. Uh, how he was hitting in, in behind the ruck and just some of his running was great. But he also had some great defence as well, which he doesn't get enough credit for lately. How good that's been. It was a high quality game. There was only six errors apiece. Obviously, quite a few penalties. So. Uh, <laughs> 88% uh, completion rate for the Roosters, only 51% possession, so it's not like they dominated in that area, but their completion rate was great. And I've said all year, especially in these big games that are really emotional against sides like Stouts and, and so forth, it's the errors and the penalties and also keeping to their attack structure, those are the three things that they really need to do. And they're doing it so much better. And they, I really thought that the scoreline flattered Stouts. Like I, I thought that the Roosters pretty much clocked off in the second half and Souths weren't going to come back anyway from that score. 
and 26 to 16 probably flattered south to me. Obviously, the big controversy of it was, you know, uh, Latrell's come out afterwards and said how he doesn't like getting booed and this sort of thing a little bit. Uh, and, and there was a big heated confrontations between, um, once again, like Jared going in and, uh, and creating chaos and things and uh, a few melees, as you'd expect. But it's always pretty spiteful and ferocious, but it's always just such great footy to watch as well. Yeah, look, I I absolutely loved watching this game. It was really enjoyable. I mean, I'd always been saying to anyone who'd listen, but I've always been saying the, the Roosters are always going to get it together. They're too good of a team, too much talent and too well coached to not figure it out along the way. And to be honest, they probably got out of jail a little bit this year because I think they still counted on winning a few more of the games that they should have um, you know, won early in the year that they ended up dropping. So you know, had things not fallen their way, they could have actually easily missed out on the finals in the end. But obviously, uh, things worked out for them, and you know, they're looking at a genuine threat. They, their de- defense is up there again, and it seems so simple. But swapping Kiri and Walker, uh, you know, the sides that they're playing the roles as well, it just seems to have, everything's just fallen into place. So that's really exciting, and I think it's really good signs for the Roosters. I can, like, if they finish the grand final, I would not be shocked. Yeah, 100% agree, obviously, but um, I'm a very confident Roosters fan this year that we're going that we were going to come good, um, and I, I was think, pretty confident on the weekend. I think what they did really well was just the way they took Latrell out of the game, the way mm. they just swarmed him every time he touched the ball, just gave him no space, and you know they kicked really well to him. So, I, I mean, it's still a tough game plan to execute, but they've nailed it, and obviously that frustrated Latrell and, you know, obviously got, <laughs> got himself Simbin later as a result, but that could easily be, you know, that's the thing with the trail, right? He's obviously a top-class player, and on his day when things are going right, he's untouchable, but that's always been a little bit of a weakness, right? The mental side of things, his temper, uh, or temperament rather, and, yeah, if you get him under his skin, he can implode very easily and just find it hard to get into the game, which the Roosters managed perfectly this one. That the sin bin that he copped, it was so dumb. Like to put your hand on the ball yeah. and to play the ball like that near the line, it was just an absolute brain snap. Make no mistake, like this was the end of the regular season for everyone in round twenty five, but it was a massive game because every single game against the Roosters and Souths is massive. So that type of brain snap is is probably a really good example of what's wrong with the Trellin um, as far as these very few development areas because he's one of the top players in the league that's one of the things that he's, he, he just can't do that the professionalism just isn't there um, you don't see a James Tedesco or a Tom Travojevic and these other you know top tier players or, or fullbacks even doing stupid things like that um, and you're right in that the, I, I liked how the Roosters really chased him hard and really belted him there was one point where Jared actually they kicked the ball down on the fifth and Jared was actually one of the ones leading the chase and he ran for him and like went at him and Latrell actually ran away and he ran around he, he ran towards his sideline but of course it was the Roosters line and what that actually did um, and like Jared will never get credit for these type of plays but Jared going in and trying to belt Latrell and Latrell deviating and going cross field to try and avoid it he ended up getting pushed into the in goal. You know, that ended up being a Roosters ball again. So it's, it, they really handed him there. I don't think he got a lot of time. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about it in the Roosters preview for the, uh, the Roosters South Clash for the finals because obviously they're going to hit each other again. Look, we do need to talk about your Broncos 22 to 12 against the Dragons. Really disappointing season. Obviously, it was a really disappointing end to the season. I have to say, like, there was one point when I was watching this game where the Broncos were, uh, they had six to go and they were down four and they were attacking the line. And it was probably the worst set you'll ever see. Like when you're talking about a game in the balance and and a game that can dictate whether they make the finals or not, because obviously they still could have hoped that the Tigers could have upset the Raiders. um, To be down four, attacking the line with a full set and to throw up what they did, it's just, it's unfathomable that a team could do that. It's meant to be, decent quality and had played how they had at times this year. Like that was the thing that stuck out for me. Like that was the real thing that was etched in my brain, watching that set where they just started taking hit ups and just not making any plays to attack the line or score points. And to me, it was very much a, a little microcosm of everything that's wrong in the Brisbane Broncos. You know, that set, there was no one taking control. There was no one trying to win the game. And in a way, the way that they were playing at that set in a game that was on the line, it just sort of seemed like they didn't care. 
And that's really hard to say about professional footballers, but that's been there in other things. Like that's the sort of attitude that you see in the Brisbane Broncos defense. And certainly there was, you know, times during that game that you saw that as well. So they really capitulated against the Dragons, Wilfred. I'm sure that you were super disappointed watching that game in the effort. Look, I'll be honest. I didn't watch the game. I had written off as a loss already. I had pretty much written off the season after the Storm game. So, look, as a Broncos fan, I'm, I was really super disappointed at how we finished up. We probably should talk about, you know, at the start of the season when I came in for the preview, where we saw things finishing up for the Broncos, right? It's really quite funny because I think in the end we said somewhere around ninth or 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I said the range was somewhere from like 6th, 7th, all the way to 12th. I think that was kind of where it was potentially going to finish up. But it's just funny how the way they finished ninth was just so disappointing. When in the preseason, like, I was like, it's in the range of outcomes if we finish there, if we finish there. But, yeah, like, I'm bitterly disappointed how it fizzled out. I don't get how people can be like, you know, if you were at the start of the season, if you said the Broncos finished ninth, you'd be happy with it. I'd be like, yeah, but we were top four, you know, with it feels like six, seven rounds to go and we just capitulated from there. I, I, I think Broncos fans have a right to be disappointed. Sure, there's some hope for the future, but... No, there's something, there's there's obviously real issues there that somehow, you know, they were fixed at one point, but then really not quite addressed enough. And it's, I think it's just, um, it's like symptomatic of a lot of things that have just been left to kind of develop over the years. And some of the things like with Adam Reynolds coming in, Kurt Capwell, some of those things were improved, but culture change and, and changing of attitudes of the team, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It'll take time. And there's definitely positive signs for the Broncos to take forward, but they've, they've got us to wake up and have some tough conversations here. Coming back to, I guess, Kevy Walters, a lot of the, the criticism has been leveled at him to go from where he was and just kind of fizzling out multiple times about how, like, I feel like Kevy's, you know, he, he's not a great coach, to put it lightly. He was probably the coach we needed at the time to kind of get rid of the Seabold stink, to put it that way. <laughs> uh, to bring back some of the Broncos' pride, the the Broncos' values that, I mean, Kevy is one of the few guys you look at him and you're like, he's Broncos through and through, and he's brought back some of that. But as a coach, he's very limited. I think his team selections, his strategies, you know, even stuff like, even if you pick the team and they, they don't perform well, but you can still coach them how to set up a an actual set on the field, right? And you can't throw it all on Adam Reynolds. Like there still needs to be actual, you know, training and, uh, you know, game plans and stuff like that. And it obviously just didn't work out there. But I've been so critical of his team selections. I mean, I, I don't get how you can stick by someone like Jake Turpin where you tell him mid-season he's free to go and find another club. No one wants him, so what do you do? You come and put him back in the lineup when you've got someone much better. I know I know, Corey Peggs is not like a, you know, a top 10 hooker in the NRL, but... It's a it's a case of like addition by subtraction, right? You by taking Turpin out of the lineup and putting someone like Pegs in who actually has good service, gets the ball out in front of his halves, can actually pass off the ground, and actually has a decent long ball, all the things that Turpin can't do. Like it just makes the, the Broncos attack so much more crisper, faster, more effective. And you know, it's no coincidence that our seven game win winning streak coincides with a lot of uh, you know, Corey Pegs paying forty fit. 40 to 50 minutes of the game. Like that's one of the things which I don't know, like did, did Kevy just fall into that or did he figure something out? And then why did he go away from it? As a Broncos fan, I'm like, what was the end game here? Like, why do you play a guy who won't be there next year? I know there's knocks on Pegs' defense and things like that, but obviously Turpin wasn't improving the defense very much. If Pegs is going to get run over one-on-one because he can't defend properly on this line, then so we might concede one try, but we might actually not concede four because we can actually hold on to the ball we can actually do stuff with the ball in hand, finish our sets, actually be more effective rolling down the field. All the things that Pegs could do that Turpin couldn't. I don't know. I could go on for ages and I know this is not a Broncos podcast, so you should stop me now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop you now. Um, I've never been a Kevy fan. I really am surprised that after that Dragons game, there was a influx of Broncos supporters that were like, oh, well, we finished ninth. It's an improvement. Look, there's no way you can look at that season as a positive in any way, shape or form, especially how it finished. It's just, it's one of those things where, you know, me and Luke Garrity have spoken about this at length on several podcasts where where you finished on the ladder 
isn't necessarily indicative of how you should feel about your team's performance. And obviously, he's a struggling Newcastle fan. And we've spoken about how, you know, Newcastle have made the finals before, but they may as well have finished 12th because it really didn't matter. Because the year that they did, seven and eight were fodder. Everybody knew that. It was a top six final series. And the last two teams really were as good as 10th, 11th, 12th, whatever. You know, where you finish matters and how you play matters. You know, there's no point. Just because that you managed to be a little bit less shit than the teams that were 10th to 13th, doesn't mean that it's good, you know, like you were just that little bit less bad, but you were still absolutely shithoused in the end of the season. So I, I can't see any positive from it. To be honest, it's sort of, in a way, um, it feels like some of these star players that really need to kick and it might be a little bit of a stretch and I'll completely say that, but I wonder if, you know, Payne Huff's asking for more money and Huff's asking for all these things when he has and how he has and, and things... I wonder if that would happen under a better coach or a different coach. You know, I, I don't think it would. You know, and all these little things add up. You know, would, would we have heard about Cobo needing a rest and him being out that game, which ended up being another Broncos loss, and maybe they could have used some strikeout wide for arguably their best outside back outside of Adam Reynolds. He's the best back. You know, to me, no, another coach, you wouldn't have heard about it. He probably would have played that game. You know, a lot of little things here. But they all add up. And Kevin Walters every week, including that, that last week against the Dragons, just had the same answers and the same talk that he has for years. You know, I I just don't think that he's got the dressing room anymore. And I don't think that he's got the coaching bag where he can take a few more ideas out of the kit and come up with something. And that was very evident in that Dragons game. Their attack was worse. Their attitude was worse. And it was the game where everything had to be at point because they could have made the top eight still. Let's move along. I don't think there was too many other big talking point games in the round, aside from the fact that the Canberra Raiders were up 42-0 at the half against the Tigers. <laughs> I know Tigers fans that left and walked out and turned their TVs off. It was that type of game. I couldn't believe a side like the Raiders did that. It was at Leichhardt Oval. One of the things was it was sending off the Tigers captain into retirement, James Tamau, who fought very hard to be able to play in that game as well. And now he probably wishes he was suspended. Look, there's that many fans that came out to Leichhardt Oval to just say, look, it was a bad season, Tigers, we're going to get the spoon. But, you know, you'll put in, I'm sure, for the last game of the season. And the Raiders aren't a side that beats anybody 56 to 10, let alone be up 42 nil at the half. Like, they're fortunate the Raiders didn't go on with it because it could have been another 72 nil type of scoreline like happened with the Roosters. It's just, I cannot get around my head how the Tigers could just, a bit like the Broncos, Wilfred, implode that badly and just not be able to put in for the final game of the season that was in front of their home fans for their retiring captain and against the side that barely scraped into the top eight. Like, you'd imagine that that's a, that could have been an, our first 80 nil scoreline in a long time if it ended up being, you know, one of the top five or six teams in the NRL even. Uh, I just, I couldn't believe how bad the Tigers were. I think this is one of the weird ones where like the Raiders love playing the Tigers and you don't have to go back a couple of years to think about some of the massive scorelines that the Raiders have put on. Um, I mean, I think uh, it, it sticks out, but the Raiders of 2016 was such a great attacking team. They put on 60 and then put on 52. It was actually 52-10 in the final round um, of that season as well. And I just think that since then there's just been a... <laughs> an ongoing thing like every time the the Raiders play the Tigers there's genuinely uh, a chance for a, a big blowout score it's not always been the case because the Raiders obviously struggled themselves a little bit but yeah definitely I mean even if you look in 2019 like 28 nil there's uh yeah a number of games where the Raiders just blow out the Tigers and you know there are some obviously like the Storm versus the Broncos the Storm just doesn't matter what form the Broncos are in what form the Storm are in, they're just going to put on a score. It happens so often. <laughs> and, you know, the tight games are the rarity for the Broncos against the Storm. So I kind of feel like that's a little bit of a similar situation here for the Raiders and Tigers as well. So, you know, you talk about Broncos having hope that the Tigers might upset the Raiders, never on the cards for me. So, yeah. Well, I think there was a few fans that might have been hopeful, but talk about absolute write-off seasons um, and for slightly different reasons with the Tigers and the Broncos. They were probably the only teams that finished the season off in uh, that type of disappointing fashion. Like, I think everybody else pretty much put in. 
Um, even the Titans and the Warriors, you know, both those sides tried hard in a 27 to 26 game. The, the Knights, you know, got smashed by the by the Sharks in the end, 38 to 16, but they were going toe to toe with them until after half time. So, yeah, it, it, those two sides, very disappointing. We do have a final series tonight is the Parramatta Eels versus the Penrith Panthers. I just have to say first, before we go through the games quickly, how good is this final series? Like, I don't remember this type of quality. Even, like, one through seven is all great. And like I mentioned, sometimes it's one through six and then you don't really care about the last two teams that shouldn't be there. But one through seven are all quality sides and playing really good football. And even eight, well, you'd have them below those seven sides. The Canberra Raiders have played outstanding football for the last month and they're coming in really good form with a lot of confidence. So it's a really exciting Round one of matchups as well, where we've got some, uh, you know, the Roosters versus Rabbits is a, is a big one as well with the, obviously the Book of Feuds and everything else. They're just, all of them are great. I just, I can't wait for it, Wilfred. I, I can't remember a final series where I haven't been able to wait for kickoff. Yeah, no, it's, it's it looks shaping up to be really, really good. And I feel like you sell on the Raiders a little bit short because they've actually performed really, really well against the top eight this year. They've struggled. Um, the, the reason they're not high on the ladder is because they lost to Hipper games to lower ranked teams. So they, um, you know, now that they're in the finals, I, I definitely see if they get past the storm, they could be a real smoky to get further than anyone would hope that they do in this final series. So yeah, look, it's going to be really exciting. I think there's a really, really good matchups and, and yeah, I'm keen for it. Well, Para versus the Panthers is the first game. Obviously, Para been playing fantastic and this is going to be a real, I guess, litmus test for the Panthers because it does bring up the whole resting argument, right? And there's two different sides to this. You know, there is the argument that you rest your teams as much as you can uh, because it's only the finals that matter and you earn your right by being first and all that stuff to rest your entire team and have 15 players out or whatever it was the last round. I just, I'm not a, I don't subscribe to that. Like, I think there's times that you rest your players and you do it fairly strategically. I'm not a big fan of resting your entire team for fan reasons and for integrity of the game reasons, but also even just for football reasons. Um, and the other side of it as well is that they've got Nathan Cleary hasn't played football for five weeks, even with the best players. It does make a difference, whether that's, you know, 1% difference or a 4% difference, it's going to make a difference. I cannot believe that they rested Jerome Luai. Like to me, someone like Luai is a very much a confidence player and he needs that football under his belt and he needs to run into the finals with that confidence. You know, to me, the balance was off in the, in the resting versus um, going in like someone like the Raiders who are going in, you know, in form with momentum and for football players too. I always like when I listen to podcasts and things and, and different interviews with rugby league players, one of the things that's always been constant forever is rugby league players love routine. They need routine. Routine helps their performance and, and one of the routines is that you go through your training sessions each week and hit your game, then you hit your recovery, and then you go through it again the next week, and then you hit your game. And, and that's that's part of the routine as well, and it's part of the repetition of form. I'm not against resting players, but I'm against doing it to the nth degree. And I kind of think that the Panthers haven't had a good run in, into the finals at all. Now, that's not to say, Wilfred, I'm riding off the Panthers at all. They're still far and away the best team in the competition. I just think that it brings them back down to the earth into the pack of the other top teams and that they're there for the taking if a team wants to do it. I feel like that the Eels are that team that can do it this week and I think that we're in for a cracker. Like, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, I think the Panthers are a bit of a special case, the, the lineup that they have right now, though, plus the circumstances with Cleary being suspended anyway. I just think with overall, like, these Panthers, or so many of them have grown up playing together that there's just... I think all the arguments you make about structure and routine and consistency and getting that, you know, week to week grind, like I kind of feel it's not as applicable just because of their specific team, how they, they've played together for so many years to come through the grade together. And even with the last three years, like 90% of the, the core group, they've just been playing together week on week off. So I just feel like they're probably just a bit of a special case that I actually think it was really smart. Uh, on their part to rest uh, because, I mean, one, they didn't have to risk any injuries and like, what are they going to gain potentially with still no Cleary uh, in, in that lineup against the the Cowboys, obviously, you know, did have something to play for. Um, like I kind of felt like this way they go in fresh, they would have had a, a shorter turnaround. I think if, I think over, all, all things considered, there was some, you know, some reasons for 
doing what they did, whether it's going to work. Because like last year they didn't rest and then they came out and they lost first week. That obviously, you know, maybe Ivan Clear is trying to change it up and try, you know, win week one of the finals and get the extra week off later. But I I don't know. Obviously, Ivan Cleary knows what he's doing. He's a very good coach. And at the end of the day, like, I still agree that the Eels are a real chance to knock them off because of everything you've talked about there. But I don't think it's because of the, you know, their their form coming into it. Like, all things considered, like, the, the Panthers spent the last six games, only one of the games they had Jerome Lua and, and everything else was Sean O'Sullivan and Jamin Salmon and, and Kurt Falls. So, yeah, I, I just don't think that's a, a real indicator of their form. You know, Cleary came back at the start of the season coming off an injury and, he, you know, he was a little bit tentative, like in terms of their structures. The Panthers still put on like 20, 30 points very easily. So I don't think that's the issue. I'm not really concerned about, you know, Cleary coming back off that and, and taking time to, to gel and to mesh because, like I said, they've just been playing together for so long. They, but you're talking about combinations and, and gelling and meshing with the other players. And so I'm not like I confidence is one thing. You know, Jerome Lua is a, very much a confidence player. You know, he might be fine with his combinations and gelling with the rest of the team, whatever isn't needed. I agree with all that. But coming in with confidence, coming off a, a good performance a week before, coming off playing a fair bit of football, um, to me, that stuff, you know, is kind of important. And as far as, you know, form coming in with form, they haven't come in with any form because the team that's playing hasn't really played together much in the last five five rounds. Um, and that's some of that's not their fault. Like, again, it's not all resting and stuff. But to me, it is little bits that um, tips away towards the opposition if the opposition are up to it. And you know in the finals they're going to be up to it. So it's going to make it probably more of a contest, I think, than if they were blowing teams out of the park like they were the first couple months coming into this and all firing. You know, I think that that would be... It wouldn't be great for footy because they'll probably demolish Parramatta, but oh, I think it really evens it up. I think it's interesting though, because then you talk about confidence, right? So the the last game that you know ninety five percent of this lineup played, uh, they beat the Warriors forty six twelve at home at Penrith. So they could have gone in um, you know, and played last week with. Like, I, I still think even if they didn't play, rest everyone and they still played majority of their team, it would have been a much less. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be such a big blowout, obviously, playing against the Cowboys who would have gone hard. And plus you factor in the risk of injuries and things like that. So in a, in a sense, I kind of get where you're coming from, but I also still think like the Panthers to, who played their last game, it was a 40 point, you know, 40 plus point dropping of the Warriors. So, you know, you can argue that they're, if, if anything, they're probably flying high confidence wise uh, and, and will come in to this game with a lot of confidence and, you know, being really well rested all the little niggles probably got biggest gap they've been given to to heal up and, and they come in, you know, close to 100% health. I think I, I read somewhere that this is actually the strongest lineup the Panthers have put out all season. Mm, so yeah. that's going to be pretty that's, – that's a pretty scary prospect from, what I'm, <laughs> from my perspective. It is. I mean, let, let's talk about the Eels a bit in this one as well. I mean, to me, I, I think I've been really impressed with the Eels' spine. Uh, Reid Marty was absolutely abysmal for the first half of the season. And that's not, that's putting it lightly. You know, he was terrible. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He was. Um, and he almost argued with me about it. Go and watch some of his passes from dummy half, like the most basic skill that you need from a nine, let alone one that was, you know, representative caliber last year. It's been bad. But the last month of 40, especially, I think he's played a lot better. Um, yeah. The Dylan Brown's obviously had a career year. I actually think that he had a massive lull during that origin period. Um, in the last month, he started to play better again which is good for them. Mitchell Moses has continued on what has been um, arguably his best season. And Clip Gutherson has stepped up whenever anyone's been out in that lineup the last couple of months of footy. And I think that he's played outstanding and hasn't gotten much much credit because uh, people like to try and knock the crown off the king. But, you know, he's he's been there and he's been doing a lot of good stuff and he's been finding those cutout passes to Mike Acevo again, who's also given them some strike over there. I just think that they've come through at the right time. When they're talking matchup versus Parramatta uh, versus the Penrith Panthers, one of the things that I really like about Parramatta is that they've got a really strong forward pack in their edges. In Papali'i and Lane are absolutely on fire this year, and they've been tormenting other edges. And I mentioned it on another podcast. One of the ways I think the Parramatta Eels can win is that I think that their spine has a chance to outplay Penrith's spine. And I also think that their, their forward pack is built to take on the Penrith Panthers forward pack, and that's going to hurt the halves in Penrith quite a bit. So certainly 
the Penrith pack is strong, but it is almost an old school strong pack where you've got the workers and you've got the hardened guys and you've got the guys that, you know, do their job. Whereas um, they're not the most athletic edge back rowers in the world. Um, Liam Martin is more of a middle to me anyway. And, you know, kick out, you could play a prop in any other era. You know, he does some crazy athletic stuff and whatever, but you can catch those guys out in defense and you can catch them out laterally with guys that are, um, really good at what they do, and Lane and and Papali are those type of guys, uh, especially you know targeting Jerome Luai's side as well. Um, and May and Targo, this is their first final series, and they're sitting there next to each other with Luai, who hasn't got much football in him. So I I think that they're ripe, the Penrith Panthers for this um, for the taking against this Parramatta Eels side. I, for all the reasons I said, I think those Parramatta Eels can actually strike. Um, and, and win against the Penrith Panthers tonight. If not, I think it's going to be a really tight game. Yeah, I tend to agree. Like uh, I, I, I've also tipped the Eels to win by like two or something like that. So I, I'm definitely not riding off the Panthers. And if they come out and win, like you know, no one's going to be surprised. But if there's going to be one game that the Eels are going to be the best chance of knocking the Panthers off, I definitely agree. It's this one where there is coming off, you know, not playing for five six weeks or whatever. And, you know, as you pointed out, you know, Luai's only played one game in the last six weeks as well. So, yeah, it, it would not surprise me at all if the Panthers come out firing, though, because they're just a quality team and the best team in the comp. But the circumstances have lined up almost perfectly for the for the Eels at this stage. Yeah, I, I still think the Panthers will get to the grand final. But it's another game after this that's, uh, I think, I don't want to disrespect the Raiders, but I think this is the easiest one to pick, the Raiders and the Storm. Um, I know that this isn't the Storm of old, and certainly they're not not looking like a premiership force like they have for many years. But uh, the Raiders going down to Amy Park, I think that's a big deal, having to play in Melbourne. Um, that's going to really test the Raiders. And one of the things with the Raiders, they are a, a pretty gritty side. And I do think their forward pack can really go at the Storm's forward pack. Guys like Hudson Young are in great form. But it's also kind of their undoing for me because they are a side who doesn't, have much in their outside backs as far as strike and scoring. Like they don't have a fantastic spine at all. Then they don't have a, a team that relies on that. Ricky's done a really good job where you've got Hudson Young scoring seven tries in the last five games or something, you know, like that's how their attack sort of functions. The problem is matching up against the Storm, the, the Storm's ruck defense can be quite good. Um, but whilst the Raiders might be able to exploit that anyway and get it over the top of the forward pack, the biggest thing for the Storm and weakness-wise has been their outside backs, which me and you have spoken about many times. You know, on both sides, their outside back defence has been woeful at times, and they're ripe for the picking out there, whereas the Raiders actually aren't very good at striking out wide that much, and they don't really have uh, fantastic halves to do that or to make those type of plays, and a young running fullback in Xavier Savage. So I don't think they're going to be able to capitalise on that. But the biggest factor for me and why I'm tipping the Raiders to lose this one, Wilfred, straight up, is because the Storm have match winners and big star players. Harry Grant, Jerome Hughes, if he actually plays, and Cameron Munster. The Raiders don't have anyone near that calibre. And I think that's what wins football games, especially when you're at home at Amy Park. just want to say the the, the Tom Starling slander there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he look, could have I, been a star. Ricky just said, no, sit on the bench, mate. <laughs> that's it. No, look, Jack White and, like, he can, you know, he definitely has a bit of X factor to him and, We've seen him stand up in big games in the past, but I tend to agree. You know, the, the logical uh, conclusion here is that the Storm win, but as we've pointed out, the Raiders are very, very unpredictable and they've been really good this year in terms of playing, turning up for the big games and then playing you know, the tougher teams. Like I think uh, you'd have to fact check this, but outside of the, you know, the, the Panthers and the Cowboys, and I think the, the Raiders actually may have the best uh, record against the top four teams at the moment. So uh I you know I'm not saying that they're they're not going to go down to the storm. That's what I'm saying. I, I still back the storm to win, but if the Raiders get through, I definitely see the Raiders causing potential havoc for the rest of the, the final series. Yeah, and uh, look I'm I'm not disrespecting the Raiders. I don't think that the Raiders are going to turn up or get smashed. I think it'll be a good game of footy still. I think every one of these ones will be, but I just don't see any way that the storm lose. Uh, next game, this one, I've got no idea. <laughs> the Sharks <laughs> versus the Cowboys. Uh, I've said to mates of mine that are Sharks supporters, you know, if you're lucky that you ended up with the home ground because at Points Bet Stadium, I think that's what swings this for me. Uh, if it was at Townsville, I think the Cowboys win. 
being at points bet, I think swings it quite a bit because they've got quite a big home ground advantage up at Townsville. But the Sharks have won a lot of their games at points bet at Cronulla as well. Uh, one of the other things that I really like about the Sharks is oh, I looked at their lineup, Wilfred, and I was really surprised at how good it was. And then I sort of <laughs> went, wow, like I haven't actually seen these guys all together like this for ages. You know, guys like Rudolph coming in. Hamlin Ueli's been sensational lately, and he's back on the bench because they've got. Um, Rudolph and Finucane both back in the middle and they've obviously still got Cam McInnes that they can use as well. Yeah, Their forward pack looks really strong and the strongest that I've seen it for most of the year, certainly the second half of the year. And really, you know, aside from Katoa, they're, they're pretty much at full strength. Um, Will Kennedy is going to be back as well. I know there's been a lot of arguments about Miller, you know, maybe needing to keep the jersey, but Will Kennedy was really good for them until he got hurt. So their, their lineup looks really good. And obviously, they've got Nico Hines, who to me is the buyer of the year. He's been phenomenal. On the flip side, the Cows completely earned the right to uh, to win this one with how they've played in the lineup. They've got they've got the Ford pack um, that has been scoring some points and also you know playing really good footy and getting meters as well. It's a really well balanced combination to me for this game. And obviously, the spine, Drinkwater, Deed, and Townsend and Robson have been outstanding and you can easily make an argument that the Cowboys spine has been better than the Sharks spine overall and I think that's definitely the case. My problem with it is that I don't think that the the Cowboys spine hasn't particularly tested at finals time. Like Townsend has and he hasn't really stood up before in big finals games even though he's had a good year. Dearden has played State of Origin this year which is great and he looked good but he, he still hasn't got much finals experience either. Um, and Drinkwater obviously was in reserve grade this year before he got put into fullback, but he's played great. The forward pack is the other big one. You know, the Sharks have a what I would say a finals forward pack, Wilfred. They've got a gritty, workhorse-like forward pack that are going to put on big hits, intimidate and be aggressive as well. Whereas they, the Cowboys are missing a little bit of that. You know, Lolo isn't what he was. Um, guys like Jordan McLean are really regular season guys. I, I wouldn't be that comfortable going in with him or Hess as one. Starting props, and then I, you know, is a young guy that will get better at this, but he's really more of an attacking X factor weapon than than anything else. So I kind of think that the Sharks at home with that pack, you know, their their spine will be able to give Hines enough opportunities. But I'm only tipping them by one point. I'm going to say this is the closest one out of all the games. I tend to agree. I definitely think uh, the fact that this one's in Sydney um, at the Sharks' home ground is going to be probably the one thing that nudges uh, that over the line for me as well. But on, on your experience side of things, I mean, I d- actually don't think the Sharks are overly experienced otherwise in, in their spine as well. I think aside from Nico playing, you know, and not playing as a as a primary playmaker, I don't think anyone else has played finals, right? Maybe Matt Moylan. Matt Moylan has played a fair bit, but yeah, they, they don't have a huge amount of finals either. Because yeah, I was going to say Bradley, between... Bradley and Kennedy. Yeah, I was going to say Moylan and Townsend are probably the only couple of guys who play finals at all in those respective spines there. So... I think that's probably a bit of an evener, but I agree. Like Nico's been in absolutely fantastic form and he's going to be the, the key key guy, obviously, for the Sharks. I do think um, with the Cowboys, like, I don't know whether it's been once they changed things up and got uh, Leilua starting on an edge. I don't know. I just feel like they're, they're always looking to attack and they're not so willing to get into the grind lately. And look, probably the fact that they didn't really need to with the matchups they've had and haven't really you know, been tested for a while. Uh, I think maybe if the Sharks can get this really into a bit of a wrestle, really slowing down the game, I think the, the Cowboys may struggle with that unless they can get and get the game moving and more free-flowing and playing up-tempo and, and making the Sharks play that type of style. That'll be, I think that'll be determining who's going to get up on this, in this matchup here. But I'm with you on the Sharks slightly, but it's going to be close. Yeah, closest game of this round, I reckon. I'm tipping it. The final game is South versus the Roosters. And, jeez, oh, this one, I'd rather we didn't play last week. I'd rather, <laughs> I don't like the whole back-to-back. Yeah, you played them last week. Played them but one of my arguments for not resting was that, you know, it's, to me it's a massive psychological advantage what's, what the Roosters did to South last week. I think they absolutely dominated them more than a 10-point scoreline. The big news was obviously that Joey Manu is now going to be out, and that is a big blow, but people also forget that Suali and Tupo and Radley all come into the side that weren't there last week, uh, which I think does alleviate any Manu being out concern. Uh, I think that that offsets it completely. Uh, and obviously for the south side of things, Damien Cook 
coming in is going to be huge. And I actually think that he takes a lot of pressure off Cody and Trell to help them play a lot better. He's had a very good year. Cam Murray being there will help too because he only lasted one minute last week. So both sides have got some good ins. Obviously, on the Roosters' side, I think that the susceptibility is going to be Hutchison's done a decent job filling in at centre. Momorowski has been suspect at times. I'm sure they're going to target those those guys. But I just uh, I just can't see the Roosters losing this week either because Tedesco absolutely tore up Souths last week and the Roosters really had Latrell's number and it was through really simple stuff a lot of the time and I don't really see that changing too much. And we saw pre-Latrell coming back what Souths were like and it wasn't any good. So, you know, you neutralise Latrell, you go a long way to winning the game. Biggest factor, though, for me is um, when you're looking at that forward pack for Souths, Cam Murray's great. The rest of it is solid. Uh, but that solid pack just got absolutely killed by the Roosters last week. And I've said it for a month now. Getting Lodge in has really helped. The Lodge, Takiaho, Jared front row rotation, those guys are making so many metres, it is ridiculous. And because they are doing that and they're staying upright or they're getting quick play the balls on the front, they're just running right with the backs. And the other thing, too, is that these edge guys, there's no coincidence that Angus Crichton and Nat Butcher have run right and scored all these tries in the last six weeks because they've been given so much opportunity from the, the work the middle's been doing from the Roosters. And Souths and most teams the last six weeks of footy haven't been able to stop the Roosters' pack at all. And we all know in semifinals that's a really big deal. So I just don't think the, the Souths really have the cattle in the pack to be able to stop the Roosters' pack. And then there's just too much class in the Roosters' spine to offset, you know, maybe a Latrell masterclass even. Yeah, look, I think um, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and actually say the Bunny's going to win this week. Oh, Wilfred. (laughs) Just because we talked about the Broncos, you had to throw (laughs) that one in there, didn't you? No, look, I'm trying to be objective about this. And and I'll I'll say, I mean, Cam Murray gone for pretty much 80 minutes is huge for the Bunnies. Like, you, you talked about the forward pack. I agree. Uh, the Roosters on on the whole definitely stronger. Look, just not having Cam Murray there for the whole game pretty much is it's it's killer. Another big uh, question, big out they had was Campbell Graham, uh, who you know just the drop from Graham to Jackson Paulo in the centres, Tane Milne on the wing, it's significant I think, and especially Paulo coming off the game he had previously. Yeah, I don't think it was an ideal situation for him to be playing again. So I think just with them two coming back in is already a big win. And that on top of obviously the, the, the Roosters losing Joey Manu, that can't be understated how big of a loss that is, especially when that reshuffle forces Momorowski into the centres. Obviously, you, you do get Suali'i back in, which is huge. But Daniel Tupo there, um, let's, let's hope he's 100% healthy. If he's not, then you know that's a potential concern as well if he goes off mid-game. Uh, but then you look at your bench and... and even from last week, just going from having, I don't know, like just a shuffle from Terrell May. Uh, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm just reading too much into the whole Cam Murray, Campbell Graham addition, loss of Joey Manu thing. But I, I just get the feeling that it's going to be a little bit different this week. The Roosters probably could still have played better last week and still won, but like the Rabbitohs didn't play very well at all. And if they can improve on what they did last week, I, I can see it being a much closer game. And if Latrell gets a little bit more freedom because he's got some more help and then, you know, there's Cam Murray causing havoc in the middle, then I could I could just see the Rabbitohs somehow sneaking in the win here. So, look, I to be fair, I've tipped the Roosters, okay? Tipped the Roosters. Oh, after all that. Here I, I can <laughs> see the Rabbitohs sneaking the win here, all right? <laughs> fair enough. Well, I'm all over the Roosters. I do think that the Rabbits um, are going to play better. And I do think that uh, Cook and Murray are going to be huge for the rest of that spine to be able to do their work. But I, I just think the Roosters just clocked off the second half of last week. And I don't see any way through the Roosters' pack. I really don't. And that's going to be a big, big deal. And I reckon Teddy has been percolating, watching him play. He's ready to just explode with a two-try. MVP performance, and I think it might even be this one. It's going to be a cracking game. I can't wait to it. I think this is probably the, the game, aside from the Panthers one, I'm actually looking forward to the most. Mm, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to all of them, but as yeah. a Roosters fan, I'm looking forward to this one as long as we win. So that's the final series anyway. It should be a really good one, and I'm looking forward to all four games. Uh, I think that all games will be good, and I think they'll all be pretty close, actually. But uh, we'll wait and see 
of the quality, but I reckon that the Eels and the Panthers will give us a pretty good introduction to the final series round one tonight. Before we get on to the next topic, I do need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the All-Stars podcast, which is Top Sport. Top Sport is a 100% Australian-owned betting company that has phenomenal service, all Australian-based, and great offers, great odds. They've got everything that you want from a bookie. Make sure you gamble responsibly, but do go to topsport.com.au and have a look or download the really easy-to-use app. We do have a special promo code for this podcast, and that is SC All Stars, all one word. When you create an account, you can go into your promo code spot and put in SC All Stars. That way, when your account gets created, they'll know you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. This NRL series of finals for round one of the final series, it is phenomenal for odds on top sport. You can get $3.10 for the Eels tonight, which is crazy money. Almost $1.60 for the Roosters to win as well. Uh, they've got pretty much the best odds in market for most things. But also, this final series, for those super coach listeners, if you're having a bit of an itch to scratch for the fantasy sports for the NRL, go and have a look at the play performance markets because you can basically play fantasy sports through the betting. You bet over and under on fantasy point scoring. It's a system based on all the NRL stats, and you can easily see what the stats are when you go into the player performance markets under each game. Uh, those markets normally appear within 24 hours of the game kicking off, so you can have a little play with that. Certainly check it out on Top Sport. They are 100% Australian-owned and fantastic to deal with. So jump on topsport.com.au today. Next topic, Wilfred. NRLW has come up to oh, just finish the third round of footy, and it was a phenomenal round of footy where I have to say uh, my Roosters girls absolutely blitzed the Dragons. Sorry, Jamie. 36-4. to four. Really good effort, really good win. So the Roosters' win was uh, pretty sublime, um, absolutely smashed the Dragons. But the other news is that your Broncos for the first couple of weeks were looking pretty shot, and they were in last place up until last round. And then they hit the Titans and put up a 22-4 to win, which they really needed. Um, they got some really good performances. Jamie Chapman got a double uh, and also... Probably, you know, a, a win that saves their season, really. Um, that was played over at Redcliffe and was a pretty good attacking effort from your Broncos. So Broncos women's team back in the mix, mate, now headed into fourth from six and uh, back in finals contention suddenly after three rounds. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't been able to watch very much of the NRLW. Just, I mean, back in the NRL season's crazy times for Supercoach. So a lot of my attention's been... On that, but uh, look, obviously, as a Broncos fan, I do keep an eye on the Broncos girls. I know they came off this little dynasty last year that they eventually lost. Um, up until then, I don't think they lost a game for about three seasons. But uh, the reality for the Broncos is that they, I mean, their 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 lineup got gutted. Like all of their top players got spread out across all the different teams, and and I think it was a first step towards obviously them not being uh, as dominant anymore. Uh, I didn't didn't have high expectations of um, their performance this year. So, you know, to, to get a win at all is, a, is always a good thing. But, yeah, I don't think – it feels like it's a two-horse two horse race, unfortunately, just uh, uh, your your Roosters girls, and I think it's going to be the Dragons. But the Knights have been a bit of a surprise packet too. Yeah, the Knights have gone really well. Um, and I think I was talking to Jamie Soward uh, before the NRLW season started, probably about six weeks ago on one of the Talking Footy podcasts, and he actually pinpointed the Knights as a smoky year. He's actually pretty worried about them because of their recruitment. Um, and they've got some great players there. And obviously, uh, Millie Boyle's gone, um, signed over to the Knights now. So, I mean, top three at the moment is Roosters, Knights, Dragons. It's hard to see two of those three not being in the in the grand final, but things can happen. Your Broncos just got their first win. Um, unfortunately for the Eels and Titans, they don't have any wins at all. They're still on three losses now. And in a short season, that's going to kill them. Eels were really unlucky. They ended up 18-16 losers versus the Knights, who were in second. And they had that game in the bag. The um, the Knights ended up winning it right at the end of the game. So a bit unlucky for them. But Eels and Titans, no wins yet. So I, I tend to agree, though. It's got to be Roosters, Knights, or Dragons making up two of the spots in the grand final at the moment based on the form that we've seen. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think, I mean, the Knights, as you said, they... Obviously got Millie Boyle from the Broncos, but also Tamika Upton, I think, has uh, made a huge difference for them. And they look really, really good. Obviously, the the, the reality is, is there's only so many games at the moment. So when you when you're starting off three and zero, it's uh, it's a great chance for you to you know finish top two and obviously give you a good give you a good shot of um you know being in the grand final. Yeah, I like Upton too. That's a really good shout. You got the first try for the Knights in that one as well. 
going to be interesting. Uh, the the quality of the football's been a lot better, and I've really enjoyed seeing it improve over the last few years. But we do need to have our, our drama to talk about because each week there is a bit of drama in the NRL. <laughs> the manly drama at the moment. So obviously their season ended. You know they've not going to be playing finals football. Spoken in bits and pieces because there's been several different players to the manly downfall this year and and the stories that have come out. I said a couple of weeks ago, I I don't buy the whole pride jersey turning point thing. I thought that that was a bit ridiculous. Um, Not ridiculous. I'm sure that it had an impact, but that's not the reason that you you don't make the top eight this year, you know, especially when it happens sort of the final six weeks of the season type of thing. You know, I think obviously losing your best player in Tom Turbo in a roster that's very top heavy is a big deal. Some of the other losses that they had through the year before that is a big deal. And there's a lot of different factors involved. But what's happening now is that Des is supposedly under the pump. There's a lot of stories that have come out about Daily Cherry Evans and his leadership as well. Look, some of it, it's really hard in the mainstream media, Wilfred, because there's going to be an element of truth to some of it. But then there's so many things with this manly stuff. So much of it is often just page filler, basically. Like they're just searching for stories to make and there's not really much substance to it. I made a comment on one of the Fox Sports stories because I thought it was pretty ridiculous where... They pinpointed um, back when there was bubbles first starting that Daly Cherry Evans, as captain, got given his own house outside of uh, the bubble where he could stay with his family, whereas the other players were in their resort and the families were staying close by, but he got to stay with his family in a house and stuff. And it's all stemmed from that, and there's a lot of resentment towards that and a lot of um, conflicts within the team because of that. I just thought that that was rubbish. Like, this is a team that, after that bubble, went on to be a top-four side at the end of the year. <laughs> like, they were a top-four team, right? So if you're going to say that's affecting them you know, the back third of the following season, more than 12 months later. And that's effect- That's the reason it's affecting them now, but it didn't affect them at the back end of last season when they ended up finishing top four. Like, I just think that's just clutching at straws, really. But certainly there has to be something there, right? Because, you know, Desi's under the pump. Manly played terribly this year, even if you account for the loss of Tom Trevojevic. Uh, I think the last seven weeks of footy was pretty abysmal. Where do you see all of this Manly drama and uh, the truth in it and, and where it's actually ultimately going to unfold? I tend to agree that uh, a lot of it's just been, you know, beat up by the media. Obviously, they need to write stuff and get clicks and all that type of stuff. And I think, I mean, maybe not directly here, but we've always complained that rugby league media is just... Not good, to say the least. Uh, unfortunately, it's just far too much you know, speculation, far too much clickbait drama going on. I think the Seagulls, we've, we've known for a long time that they are off the field, you know, in terms of their operations, the, the structure, ownership. It's never been a great situation and it's been a bit of a drama for, you know, bubbling underneath it all for, for many, many years. I think this is just a, a symptom of it, unfortunately. I mean, look, not to point at the, the Pride jersey drama, but I think it's still pretty amazing that, like, the head coach doesn't know it's going on, right? And, like, there's stuff off the field that's being done by the marketing department, by the club, decisions being made and stuff, but it's not run by, you know, the guy who is in charge of all the football. And the stuff they're doing on the field and the players don't even know that they're going to have to wear this jersey until, it, you know, it's like a week or two out, you know? going to be worn so all of that oh, i thought just... i thought all the management of that was awful and like when i say that like it's a bit of an easy act to blame that i'm not saying that that whole thing wasn't a debacle it certainly was and it's it's it is it is a reflection of how the manly club has actually ran which is poor throughout yeah. the last years you know but it just to blame that only i'm saying like i wouldn't do that but I, you're no, right no, and i agree like i'm just using that like that whole management of the issue of that problem as one at. example of how it poorly it's run, um, mm. you know, on and off the field. You know, I think we've seen they've they've got a decent roster. Like I won't say it's fantastic, but they've got some really good players. Um, obviously one of the best players in the game when he's on the field. So like the football side of things, generally they've been able to paper over it um, by just being good and winning and winning. And when that happens, it's fine. But when there is a capitulation, like you said, and part of that's because, you know, they're missing their best player. They've been hammered with injuries. Like in terms of forward packs, you know, theirs isn't great in the first place, but then when they lose a couple, like they get really exposed. I mean, when when you're honest about it, like if you look at why they haven't gone well as well, it's because when you take Turbo turbo out, DCE has a lot of pressure on him to step up and he's not someone that normally steps up in big games and he didn't in the final two months. 
And then what are you left with? You know, a broken down Kieran Foran that's leaving next year, some some young guys in the back line, some old forwards that, you know, Marty Tapao has played poor, poorly for two years and doesn't have a contract. So he's, you know, annoyed. It was poor recruitment of someone like Bullimore. And, you know, there's, I just, I just don't see like a great roster there anyway. So it's like, yeah, that exactly. roster at the start, like you'd, you'd say, well, there's a chance of that roster's 10th, 11th, 12th, pretty easy. And you could say, well, yeah, but, you know, Turbo DC, if they fire, well, maybe they finish sixth. Yeah, I don't think it was the other realms of possibility anyway at the start of the year if you just looked at the roster on footy talent, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, like, that, that's what I'm saying, you know, they were always thereabouts, but it was a very real possibility that they miss the finals, even with everyone fully fit. And, you know, even when Turbo was around, they weren't winning every single game either because, I mean, he wasn't in the same form he was in last year. So mm. I think, like, at the end of the day, like, when the football's going well and they're getting the wins and they're making finals and everything's fine. But the moment there's a little bit of weakness on the field, I think that's when everything else gets exposed, uh, all the stuff that's going wrong there. I mean, even now, like they're talking about, you know, Des was given an ultimatum. Uh, they were going to fire him, but then all of a sudden there's, you know, rumors that he's now got an extension until the end of 2024 and all of this stuff, like it's just playing out in the media. It's just, it's not, it doesn't help the Seagulls at all. No, it doesn't. And they really need to get the back office in order. I mean, one thing that I will say that I kind of found it a bit funny, like Paul Kenton and a couple of the other media guys and certainly the DT and even the Sydney Morning Herald um, guys had a crack about Penn being the owner but living in New York a lot of the time or whatever. I just sort of had a bit of a laugh to myself about this because I was like, you know what? Like, if I pay my own money to own a football team and I buy it privately, (laughs) like, I'll do whatever I want. (laughs) Like, it's my football (laughs) team, you know? Like... If I, I'm not going to, you know, it's not my job to go and live at Manly and, and do all this stuff. I own the team and I pay very good money to people to be the managing directors, the general managers of football and all these other big high positions. They, they're, they're doing their job, you know. And in other professional sports, you don't even hear or see an owner, which maybe would be better with Penn sometimes, I guess. But you can argue about Penn's, I don't know, he's, how he runs things and his decision-making and stuff. But to say... To pinpoint, or he lives in New York a lot of the time, and you know, I just thought that was a bit of a stupid um, blow trying to manufacture a story and stuff. You know, I own a footy team, I pay the wages, I pay the money. You know, ultimately, I'll, I can live where I want and do what I want. It's my footy team. Yeah, and like I said, that just points to you know they're just trying to find stories to read. I mean, you know, we hear all about say for the the roosters, we, we you know Uncle Nick stories come out all the time, but it's not about where he lives and all of that type of stuff. It's about the other you know, the the off-field uh, success he has and the, uh, the brown paper bags, all those types of jokes. <laughs> like, I think, you know, rugby league fans like speculating and chatting about that type of stuff. And sometimes it's just an easy, easy target, right? When, when the off-field is no good and they find reasons to have a crack at a club. And unfortunately, that's where it's very easy to point at the Seagulls and, and that side of things being lacking. So they, you know, attack the owner and, and you know, bits and pieces around that. Like I said, it's just, I think it's part of the culture, right? Yeah, it is. And I think there's some truth to it. I mean, one of the things that I will say is, like, even though I'll admit there's some truth to it, where the football club is managed poorly and they need to fix that, and whether that's people in high management positions or whatever, um, and whether part of that's how Des coaches too, which I'm sure has some degree with it. Like, I think there's a lot of blame to go around, even with Daily Cherry Evans. Like, whilst I don't subscribe to him needing to be best friends with everyone and going out for beers every night and stuff and whatever, like, yeah, at the same time, he a lot of the performance does rest on him too. There's just so many bits and pieces though. And at the end of the day, for me, like, how Des runs things isn't a surprise. So you can't really use it as an excuse. Like if he's going to be your long-term coach and you're letting him do that and you enjoy the success that that brings, you can't then, you know, lambast him and look at getting him out when it doesn't bring success, you know, because he's doing the same stuff. So you're either in on it or you're not, you know, you can't be both ways and be happy with the wins that it brings you when you've got a good season and then be pissed off when it doesn't give you the wins. And at the end of the day, it's a very average roster. I would be looking at more the roster and saying, what have we done here? Um, what's our recruitment strategy going forward? Because they got guys like Schuster that look terrible this year. You know, they pinned a lot of hopes on this kid. They let Foran go, uh, who was an okay six this year for them. Um, for Schuster, who I don't even think will get the starting jersey next year if we're starting the NRL tomorrow, um, even with Foran going. So th- there's a lot of recruitment stuff there and how the roster is so top-heavy which, you know, is probably warranted. But they're way out of this to finish off, Wilfred. To me, like, I don't see any way that sacking Dez helps anything. 
I would just, I'd keep him around and I'd certainly change some of the management structure and things and whatever. But if you sack him, I think they just go worse rather than better. So surely that's not the answer. That's it. Like he's still one of the better coaches in the NRL and good coaches are hard to come by. So yeah, I totally agree. I don't think sacking him's the the answer, but um, at the end of the day, obviously he still needs to kind of work with the ownership and obviously try to do what they're asking him to do within reason. Yeah, I think both both parties need to meet a little bit more in the middle and uh, and do things a little bit differently and better, for sure. Uh, but you know, the thing that can fix all this is just winning. <laughs> That's always there, and everyone be quiet and the headlines go away once you start winning some games. Well, that's exactly yeah. That's what I was trying to point out before. Definitely is one of the the big solutions when you're winning on the field. Then who cares about all the other stuff? It gets ignored and papered over. One more topic to cover, kind of a new segment, but not really. I do this each week. I just didn't give it a name, and now it's got one. Barnsley spray of the week. <laughs> My spray of the week this week. You got to give me two minutes here, Wilfred, to get it all out because I'm all pent up. Um, can't take the heat ups anymore to get the aggression out, so I'm going to go for it here. May suspension, two weeks next year. I could not believe it when I read it. I actually thought it wasn't true. And I went and looked for multiple different sources because I thought it was so ridiculous. This is something that's just another made up rule by the NRL where they've just come out with something. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Now, there's going to be people out there that say that he shouldn't get suspended at all. I'm going to hit that on the head right now, okay? We have people suspended, like Payne Haas from your Broncos, who got into an, a small altercation that wasn't a massive deal with a teammate outside a hotel, but it wasn't a good look in front of the public. He got a week. You have guys that are on low-range drink driving charges. I think Rappiner was the beginning of this year, um, and he got one week. You know, At the end of the day, these guys are held to higher standards than others, and based on what the standards are, that is a suspension every day of the week. And he's pulled... A, bloke down to the cement from his neck onto his back that wasn't even suspecting it. And I just, I cannot believe that the Panthers and Gus Gould have even said anything about it other than thank you. Like they've come out and said all he was trying to do was defuse the situation. I reckon people that want to defuse the situation could handle that 75 different better ways than what Taylor May did. Now, I wasn't there. Um, if I was and I was in the same situation, maybe I would have done the same thing depending on what the other guy was asking, okay? That's not the point. I'm not a rugby league player. I'm not held to those standards. A rugby league player is. The second thing is, just because his charge has decided to you know, be expunged, it doesn't mean or change the fact that he was both charged with uh, what grievous bodily harm, assault, and then also found guilty of. Okay, Whatever way you slice it, just because it's not on his rap sheet anymore doesn't mean that he wasn't guilty. He was charged and fined. You know, that is enough for a suspension. But what I will say, Wilfred, throw all that out the window. If there's listeners there that disagree with him being suspended, fine, doesn't matter. Let's just say that I agree with you. He got two weeks, okay? There is no rhyme or reason how that two weeks isn't for now. And I thought it was a massive slap in the face to the fans when Vlandis came out and said, I've done this for the fans. I'm fully in agreement there. It makes zero sense to me. Um, I agree that he should be suspended. He should cop some time for it. And... I totally I do not understand why. I mean, like the, that PVL comes out and says the decision to allow him to play in the finals is all about the fans. Like, really? Maybe for ninety-eight percent of fans are got <laughs> else pretty much, and heaps of Panthers, Panthers fans as well, saying how ridiculous it is that he's playing and his suspension is not applying till next season. Like, it just makes zero sense. Yeah, think about all the people who've done and and copped suspensions during the final series, during grand finals, even. For stuff on the field, let alone stuff off the field where they didn't, they had to go to court. And, you know, as you just pointed out, it doesn't matter what it was. Like he's brought the game into disrepute uh, by being charged and, you know, having all those articles written about him, just negative headlines. And that's what he's copping the, the punishment for. So why does it have to wait till next year? Like it makes zero sense. Uh, yeah, no. Nah. Uh, look, I've been critical of PVL for many things in the past, but this is definitely not one of his finer moments for sure. No, and uh, it's just he's read the room terribly, hasn't he? To say this is for the fans when everyone is in the out on is outraged by it. And like Brewster's fan right here, we're missing Lindsay Collins for a month. There, there's that many people that are missing from suspension and and stuff that they don't make exceptions for. But yeah, it's just he's read the room entirely wrong. 
because most of the fans are outraged. And the biggest thing is, if he got suspended and copped two weeks and was not playing for the first two weeks of the finals, no fan would bat an eyelid. Everybody would expect it because that is the norm and that is what happens and that's acceptable and common sense. NRL's got to stop making up the rules as they go along. It's happening all the time now. You see it happening on the field as well. Uh, and it all starts at the top and trickles down, unfortunately. Uh, look, due to some time constraints and unfortunately some uh, unfortunately some technical difficulties with me and Wolf uh, today recording, we're going to miss the Legend Rewind, uh, but that'll be back as a segment next time. Wilfred, I want to just say thanks for jumping on. I always enjoy having you on to chat footy and always really enjoy um, getting you on. So I hope get on during the pre-season as well um, and get on some other podcasts with me on the NRL All-Stars during the finals, maybe in a couple of weeks, we can get you on board again. Yeah, look, you know, I'm always up for a chat about footy, Supercoach, whatever it is. Uh, be great to chat anytime when 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 we can make our schedules line up. We're both very busy, but yeah, great to be on and yeah, always uh, good to chat some footy. Well, thanks everybody for listening. You can download us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and also Audible, Amazon as well now and pretty much everywhere. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And Top Sport, hit them up, go on there, create an account, use the promo code SC All Stars. Your betting world will change forever. They are phenomenal. Thanks very much for listening. Super Coach is done for the year, but the Talk and Footy episodes will be out every week. I apologize about a few technical difficulties on this episode. Um, a few Zoom issues, actually. So everyone email Zoom and tell them how poor they've been this week because the quality just hasn't been there and I've tried very hard to fix it. But look forward to the final series. It is going to be phenomenal. And can't wait for it. We're going to chat all about it again next week on another Talking Footy episode. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get